This episode is sponsored by Postalytics. If you're doing any type of marketing for your startup today, you're probably missing out on one of the most underrated marketing channels there is to grow your business, direct mail marketing. Finding ways to stand out and get attention for your prospects has never been harder. Business people receive over 120 emails per day. The average Gmail account contains over 8,000 messages. With Postalytics, start standing out by delivering personalized messages directly into the hands of your audience to form a deeper impression than email alone. The best part is you can integrate with your CRM to track, trace, and measure the impact of every dollar you spend. So whether you're an agency or startup founder and looking to build out your next direct mail marketing campaign, visit postalytics.com for a free account and start sending direct mail today. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. Um, so, you know, Joe, you've been running this, growing this this beast for, for a while. You know, you came in, you know, well over the 5 million ARR mark, growing quite a bit. In terms of marketing, growth strategies, what channels and strategies have you say has worked best for, for your audience or your ICP so far, especially with a marketing background? Yeah, I like the way you asked that question, Akil, because my answer is not the right answer for everybody. It really right. depends on who your buyer is and how your buyer likes to buy. So uh, at Eloqua, my last SaaS company, we sold to marketers and we really sold directly to the line of business. And I would tell you that the best way to get to those people is a direct sales force. And so we sold... Uh, we had a direct sales force and we broke it up by size of business. You know, we sold to the mid-market, we sold to enterprise market... Um, we had, you know, engin- uh, sales engineering res- resources report to them. So huge believer in direct sales for with SaaS companies. At Code Forty Two, um, we go to market today for new customers, hundred percent through the channel. And the reason we do that is because the security industry and software is probably has the strongest channel orientation. And so our buyers really look to the channel. Um, to say, you know, what product should we buy? Um, who do you recommend? You know, um, I have buying uh, agreements with, uh, you know, a, a uh, security resellers. And so I'm really used to buying through the channel. And that has a historical basis. Um, and, and we're not going to change that. So if we want to sell, if we want to sell uh, to that market, we need to sell to them the way they're used to buying. And in security, they still own. I would say for most SaaS spaces, um, the, cu- the customer really prefers to have a direct relationship with the, um, with the software company. So you should expect to do direct selling in those, uh, in those scenarios. And obviously the question is, well, how do I get in front of my buyers and how do I get, I mean, that, that's, that's a whole, that's, that's what we did at Eloqua. That's all we did. So that's a whole different set of podcasts on how to get mm-hmm. to people. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think the customer, when you're selling to a line of business, you're selling to sales, you're selling to marketing, you're selling to finance or HR uh, or even development, they expect you to talk directly to them. Mm. So channel partnerships being being a big kind of source of your, your fuel of growth. Um, did you try kind of that direct sale? Uh, you know, when you moved over to Code42, you say, okay, this worked over here. 
it should work over here as well? Or did you learn that the hard way? If not, what, what else hasn't worked and why? Well, we always had channel as part of what we were doing at Code42. And um, we also have a, a direct sales force. Um, what we did is we transitioned to a 100% channel focus so that no deal doesn't go through the channel. So before we were sort of a hybrid model, we do some through the channel, some through uh, direct. And yeah, that was really a decision, you know, a learning process because I think, you know, as, as a SaaS person first, you know, my last company was SaaS line of business, you know, I understood that that direct model is really preferred by the customer. And so, I expected it to be more preferred, but it turns out both IT and security typically like to buy uh, directly uh, from a channel partner. Now, when the deal gets big enough, sometimes the customer says, I want to talk to the company directly. And so we'll work with them and we'll work with the channel partner and we'll always buy, sell it through the channel partner. So we're 100% channel. Uh, but a lot of times the, the buyer will want to talk to us and spend time with us and maybe even do the MSA directly with us. So, you, you know... At the end of the day, the person in charge is the buyer. They get to decide how they want to buy and because they're the buyer. And so we don't dictate to them how they buy when we figure it out on the back end. Mm. Joe, I know this might not be the best question for you, but I'll, I'll ask anyway. If you were... No, it could still work because you, you won't have to build it. But if you were starting a new solution today in the cybersecurity industry... What are some opportunities or, or solutions that you would tackle and you see now, right now, some big opportunities in? Listen, I, I think the most important thing when you're starting any business is to understand the market and, um, and understand you know, a piece of it. Don't, I, I, when I, most businesses fail, right? Most businesses fail. That's just the math of, of, of what we do. Very few succeed. But the ones that succeed are people that under, have insight into the market based on their past experiences and are, and are bringing an improvement to the market. And so I don't recommend, and I see this a lot today, you know, everybody in college wants to be a founder of a business. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. It's exciting. I want to be an entrepreneur. So I'm just going to go build something I know nothing about. And I don't recommend that. I, I would say go work someplace, learn about a market, and then see if you see an opportunity where you can make a change in that market by inventing something new, uh, a market that you know and you understand, then go do that. That that's how you that's how you win. So as an example, like Code Forty Two, you know, we didn't just randomly say, "Oh, insider risk." That's the thing that we, you know, we just want to do that. That seems interesting and it's growing. And let's jump into it. We basically looked at where we were really good and what we really understood, and what we really understood was data movement and data security and how to move data around on endpoints and what it, what it looked like when it moved around. And, um, and so we, and we tried some things there and it was a natural growth and evolution based on what we did. Um, and so I think that's what I would recommend. You know, don't, don't just try to say like, hey, ransomware is hot right now. Let me go build a ransomware solution. Like, well, if you don't know anything about ransomware and you've never been in the space, that is... That is really hard to do. And I'm not saying you can't do it. You can, but you're much more likely to be successful if you know a market and then you you um, you know you come up with a you know a a better way to handle the market than the next person. Yeah, yeah, that's a good advice. Um, so you obviously you you the being the CEO of a leading company, 500 plus employees in the space. I imagine that's be you know quite demanding. 
What, what kind of skills would you say you had to develop over these last few years to kind of, uh, you know, step up to the challenge? Because yes, a lot of people want to, you know, coming out of university, want to be the CEO, they want to be the founder, but they, they need the skills, right? I mean, it was different also being a founder versus uh, leading 500 employees. And, and then how do you measure your kind of leadership success around that? You know, I think the most important uh, job for any CEO or any leader is being a good communicator. Um, because you're, you're, you need to lead a group of people and you're all, you want everybody going in the same direction. So learning to how to be a communicator, whatever that, whatever type of communication, whatever style that is for you, but being a really good communicator to get, to get everybody, uh, sort of on the same page. And then I think you gotta be really good at, um, at hiring. I mean, that's the job of a leader is like, I need to hire a great team of people so that, uh, we can get leverage, you know, one person, um, I mean, we history shows us that one person can drive companies. There are some companies that have been driven by one person, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you really need good people to execute uh, your plan. And so, uh, you know, being somebody that's really, really good at at uh, at hiring others, I think is 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 a skill that 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 I've evaluated. And um, I think also. Um, being able to give clear and concise direction, setting the direction for the organization. Um, you're not going to be the most popular. We call it, um, you know, don't manage for affinity. Don't manage so everybody likes you. Manage for results, you know, which means sometimes you have to have hard conversations with people who aren't performing. Sometimes you have to have hard conversations with people who are performing, but they're not performing well enough. Um, and again, if you're going to drive to to win a market, um, you're going to have to have some of those things. Um, in terms of how you measure success, um, let me tell you, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. how not to measure success. It's based on your valuation of your company. I think um, one of the things that uh, venture folks have done real well, and Akil, I hope this doesn't hit a little close to home, <laughs> is... Um, they're very good at convincing founders that they should raise money, then creating an environment where they built a company so big that they have to keep raising money. And that once the, the, um, the idea has traction, they keep putting money in, which has the result of them owning more and more of the business. And, um, and what that does is it limits the, um, the ability of the organization of the founders and the early employees to, to to monetize that that great idea and investment, and then a lot of the returns end up in the hands of the investors. And so, I would say to founders, like, yeah, you, you know, using other people's capital is good, but don't judge your success uh, on whether you got a great valuation in the last round of financing, because every time you do a financing, you are um, Potentially diluting yourself and the early employees and investors. Uh, so I, I, you know, my goals when I'm trying to uh, win in my market is I want to win my market because most of the returns in any investment or in any market go to the winner. Whoever wins the market, whoever gets there first. If you're the second or third player, you get a lot less percent of the economics in the market. And so if you care about winning the economics in the market, you want to be the winner. So try to win. And that means working hard and doing lots of the things that we've discussed uh, and and will discuss. Um, but also along the way, don't lose sight of the fact that don't raise too... Keep an eye on your cap table because you want the people that came up with the ideas 
uh, to, to get some of the value. And that's something I'm really proud of in my last company is that we, we didn't raise a lot of money at Eloqua. And when we sold to Oracle for about a billion dollars, a lot of that money went to the employees and, um, and to the uh, founders and to the, to the people that had been there a long time. And um, you know, we had a competitor in the space, Marketo, that sold for more money later on. But they had raised so much money that the people that made the money were the investors, not not the people that had built the product. And 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 so you know, it's not always about the valuation. Um, it's mm. about the valuation that comes to you and the people that build mm. the product. That's a, that's the entrepreneur and the worker speak. Now I know Akil, you might feel differently as a as a, <laughs> as a venture guy, but but it's important to know to note for the founders that they should look out for themselves and their employees too. Hundred percent. I guess I, I, we're less, you know, venture. We're more kind of the acquisition. But no, I, I, I still, I still agree with you, hundred percent. But there's also the thinking, right? Like, do you own one percent of a, a hundred million, or do you own, you know, a hundred percent of one million? I guess it's just. And there's also that personal choice. Right? You have to get that. Well, you have to get that balance right too. So mm-hmm. I'm, I again, I've raised 137 million at this company. So I believe in raising money. Uh, but again, I don't. You don't. That, that, you know. There's players that have raised money three times this year in our space. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, because you're just <laughs> diluting all the people. And if there's an outcome down the road, it's possible. All those people are ahead of all the people that have built the product. And so um, I'm just, I'm a sucker for really changing the lives of the people that work for us and changing the lives of the people that build the product is as important as returning money to uh, to banks and investors and things like that. So um, you know, at Eloqua, we had 30 people who were, who made over a million dollars on on our on our deal, and um, you know, over 200 that made over a hundred thousand dollars. Everybody made, and a lot of those were in the 700, 800 thousand dollar ranges. And so, this is life changing money. That's real money for people that are in their 20s and 30s. And um, and so, it was it was a really great outcome for 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 our entire company. And that's kind of the whole beauty, right? Of why you want to build a company to, to kind of have that life-changing event. Yeah. Um, do, do you have any kind of best maybe productivity hacks, strategies, or tips for maybe new founders in the space or even, you know, you as a, a, a CEO use to kind of, you know, manage all the stuff that you have on your plate? Um, I think the hard part, and this may surprise you, I think the biggest productivity hack I have is to tell you to exercise. Mm. Um, I know that sounds probably a little bit weird, especially if you're not a, but I find that exercise is the best way to keep yourself healthy and being healthy is keeps your mind healthy. And also that time, um, to yourself, um, is often a time when you might have inspiration or ideas or realizations, etc. So that's my biggest hack is to, is to try to carve that time out. And that's really hard in our, in our business. We're always traveling in a non COVID situation. Um, and there's always somebody wants to meet and there's always, t- you know, there's little time. So carving that, uh, I think carving that time out is really important. And then the other thing is if you can, um, walk without a podcast. Now I know we're doing a podcast here, so I'm, I'm talking against you, but I think recent, in the last few years, most of us, when we take our walks, we put our headphones in and then we go listen to the daily or we go listen to whatever our, what our favorite podcast is. And, um, and we're losing out on thinking time. And so mm. I think um, 
however you carve your thinking time out, um, you should. I find that when you're in front of a computer, you might say you're thinking, but you're really not. And so walking and thinking is really good. And, and avoid the, um, the temptation to put your headphones in every once in a while. Avoid the temptation to make that call. Because again, if you're a type A CEO, you're always like, I got to be productive. I can't just walk around the block. I got to be making a phone call to somebody. I got to be doing this. And I'd, mm-hmm. I'm as guilty as that as anyone. But you need that time to think. Uh, I, the thinking part of this job is really, really important. Mm. Or pulling out your phone, right? Looking at checking your email. I think any of that that just sucks you away from just all being of that your gets in the way. Put all yeah. that in the same bucket. You know, mm. it's it's you need to do literally do nothing at times because and then your brain has time to process different things and and you it, it has time to force you to uh, address tough issues. You know, um, you know, you, as a CEO, you should always be asking yourself. You know, sort of who's the least performing person on my team? And it's a really uncomfortable question to be asking yourself. But there's always, look, there's a ladder and there's always someone on the bottom rung. And they may be pretty high up. They may be doing really well. And that's fantastic. But you need to always know who's your lowest performing person on your team because it's, it's your job to, to either push them up so that they're not or to make a change there. And I think that's a, that's, you know, that's one of the differences between somebody like me who comes in and a founder. I find often when I come into founder-led teams, there's a lot of people there that aren't doing great because the founder didn't feel comfortable pushing them out and they were here a long time. And um, But the founder knows. They'll sit with me and they're like, I know that person's really not performing or they're getting the way, and so, but they don't make the tough decision. And sometimes that's yeah. really the difference between, you know, being an effective CEO and, and being an ineffective one is you have to make those tough decisions. And that's kind of the conversation we have with a lot of our founders, right? They usually hit, um, they come to us like, you know, we're thinking to sell our company, we want to take over. And, you know, we can see clearly like they, they know what they need to do, but they just don't want to make those hard decisions or they hit the plateau of kind of what they're, you know, they're the founder, they built a great product, but they just don't know how to lead or yeah, make those decisions. We're like, look, we need to improve our sales. You know, we trust that we have this person around for five years, you know, he's been good, but you know, they, they can't make that call of, you know, they need some, the right person for the right, you know, we're at this stage of the company, right? And what needs to That's change. Right. Yeah. Joel, I want to switch gears here, kind of moving to more kind of personal, a little bit more rapid fire. Um, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known and would tell your 25-year-old self? 80% of the CEO job is people. You know, when I was 25 and when I got my first CEO job, I was like 32. And I was like, I thought it was all about strategy or marketing or sales. If I just focused on that, then it would be all good. And um, Jack Welch wrote a book at the time and said, you know, that 75% of the job is people. And I thought he was the biggest moron I'd ever met. I literally remember thinking that. I was like, what a moron. He doesn't know anything about being a CEO. Um, of course, Jack Welch was a famous CEO and, and at the time considered the CEO guru. And he was right. It was, I just wish I'd known that earlier. So uh, if, if, if you're not spending 70 to 80% of your time on people issues, you're probably not doing it the right way. <laughs> yeah. What are, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently you know, facing in order to continue to grow Code42? Meaning, what's keeping you up at night these days? It's probably going to sound familiar to all of your entrepreneurs out there. How do I get to my buy, more of my buyers? You know, my buyer is the CISO and like it's the hardest person in the world to get to, in my opinion. Like mm-hmm. they don't listen to their phones. They don't answer the phones. They don't 
read their emails. They won't connect with you on LinkedIn. It's like, how do I get to these CISOs and show them what we have and convince them that they ought to buy it? So I'm, I'm living the same dream that even at 100 plus million in revenue, you have the same probably core issue that all of your people have at, at 1 million in revenue. That's what keeps me up at night. Joe, I think you need to go back to the, the olden days and go knock on their doors. I think that's the only way. Which, with, with your mask, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we could actually do that? I don't know where any of them are. I mean, they don't, you know what I mean? Like, they're not at their no, office. That's, that's, and that's true. they don't even want us to come anymore. That's, that's the, mm-hmm. the one thing the pandemic has done is I think it showed buyers like, hey, we don't even have to, we don't even have to entertain you at our company. It used to be that when a vendor CEO, for example, would come into town, they'd be like, okay, well, show them respect and at least meet him in the conference room and, you know, just off the lobby. Today, they're like, we don't want to see you. Like, they don't <laughs> want to come. And, you know, with the pandemic, I don't want to see them either. But like, yeah. I think a lot of stuff's going to be done uh, via Zoom. What I've, I've, spent, I've spent the pandemic doing is doing one-on-one um, demos with CISOs. So a lot of times, the benefit of our my title is that I can email someone out of the blue and be like, if, if they'll read it, I can be like, Hey, I'm doing a one-on-one demo. I just need no salespeople, no PowerPoints. I just want to show you the product and get your feedback. And um, it's a new space. And the thing about security people is they never want to miss anything new. Because if you're in security, you can't miss anything new. If you miss it, you, you could be in big trouble, right? So, mm. so they're open to having those meetings. And I've been just doing our product demo one-on-one, I've probably done 50 or 60 of them with CISOs and CIOs and a few CEOs just showing them the product. And that's been great for me because it gets me deep into the product. Also, I have to get better and better and better at the product. But also, I'm talking directly to the customer. I get good feedback. I learn what they care about. Um, and it's a way to introduce them uh, to what we're doing with it's less intimidating. You know, mm-hmm. um, One of my mentors said to me, people always tell the truth in one-on-ones. So you should always try to have all your meetings be one-on-ones. Any meeting you can have one-on-one. Because as soon as you introduce a third or fourth or fifth person into the mix, now everybody's positioning. They can't say what they really mean in front of other people. They can't say, you know, if there's if, if their subordinate is in the room, they know they have to look tough. They can't look like they're telling too much to the vendor, you know. And so I try to do one-on-ones. And I, I anytime you can get a one-on-one with a customer or a prospect, you should take it. Um, and, and even to the extent that like, I kick salespeople out of the room. I'll be like, hey, you got to leave. I want to talk to this person. And I'll say, how's my sales team doing? You know, are they doing okay? Do you feel like you can trust them? Are they giving you the information you need? And that helps to build a bond too. That, that, you know, that sometimes... 9 times out of 10, they'll say they're doing great. They're doing a fantastic job. Sometimes they'll say they're rude, you know, or they're not... You know, they don't listen or whatever. And it's like, well, okay, well, that's why I'm here. How can I help? And you know, you weren't going to win that deal anyway if you didn't have that conversation. So getting those feelings out and getting those issues out builds trust and builds relationships. So, you know, strong advice to all of you out there. Try to do one-on-ones. And that goes for everything. I mean, it goes for your meetings with your subordinates and your team. It goes for your relationships with your children. Mm. I have four kids and I used to take them all everywhere together until I had that epiphany one day where that, where that, you know mentor of mine said, this even matters with your kids. They tell the truth in one-on-ones. Don't take four of your kids to get ice cream. Take one and watch what happens. And I was like, mm. wow. <laughs> and that was so true. So still, we still do a lot together as a group, but like sometimes getting them separate one-on-one changes the entire dynamics of the conversation and therefore the relationship. And so uh, that was some of the best advice I've ever got. That's, that's super simple. Super. That's fantastic advice though. Love it. 
Uh, Joe, who or what are the best three resources, can be books, people like mentors you, or, or even uh, people you follow who you can share and have been you know, the most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Well, I'm a, I'm a reader. Um, and so I really, there's two books that I really think everybody ought to read. And I try to make all our employees read, uh, good to great, uh, mm. by Jim Collins, uh, which is old, but it's still so relevant and so right on. And Jim himself is, is really good. And there's a lot of resources around that book. And then, uh, Chip and Dan Heath have written a bunch of books, um, that are very relevant to the SaaS industry and to what we do. Um, but the, the one I like the best is called Switch. And switch mm-hmm. is all about change. How do you create change? And, um, and, and, and for someone like me that's trying to change markets, they're trying to change how a buyer thinks about things, they're trying to change an organization. I, I really love that book. So, so strongly recommend the Heath brothers, uh, any of their books, but, but I like switch and I, I also like made to stick, which helps. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you learn to tell stories about your product or your company that people will remember? And, uh, and I think that's a super, uh, important skill from a marketing standpoint, uh, to have. Um, I'm actually more active on Snapchat than I am on Twitter. So I, I'm not a big follower of, of, of people at, uh, looking for pithy advice there. Um, but I do read, I do read some business books. The other thing I would say is like, uh, I think, I think reading, um, novels, uh, fiction is also mm-hmm. super helpful for your mind. So uh, I'm reading, uh, just finished a series called the Murderbot series, which is um, if you're a, at all a techie, it's, a, it's you know, based way in the future, sci-fi uh, thing about, a, about a, a bot, basically, that controls itself. It's pretty, really, really, really well written. And he's an introvert or she's an introvert because that, that's also part of it. It's, a, it's an androgynous character. Who knows? Is it mm-hmm. she or he? It's mm-hmm. never clear. It's a day. Um, in any case, uh, I like that series, and I think your audience uh, would like that series too. And then, if you're an introvert and you want to read about another classic introvert, uh, I, I rest recently read a man called Ove, and I strongly recommend that as well. So these are things that I that I you know trying to keep ourselves somewhat well rounded. I think is 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 an important part of of the job, um, so that you can relate to what's happening in, in the world and what your employees are dealing with. Nice, nice. All, all fantastic books. We'll add those uh, links to our show notes for people to check out. I also love yeah, Jim Collins and the, and, the, and the other one as well, Made to, made to Stick. Um, last question, Joe, what does uh, success mean to you today? You've had you know, a couple of nice exits, leading a, a high growth company, um, but there's also no right answer. This could be personally, this could be financially, this could be life, could be business. There's no, there's not, there's no right answer. Yeah, there's nothing more satisfying in life, no matter what you do, than winning with a team. Winning with a team trumps all things. I, I have these great pictures of Megan Rapino getting awarded the Golden Boot Trophy from the last Women's World Cup. And she, you know, she's happy and she's a smile on her face. And then the next picture is her with her team being awarded the championship trophy for winning the World Cup. And the difference in expressions is palpable. She's ecstatic. She's crying. She's with her teammates. There's no better feeling. She wouldn't trade that for anything. Winning the individual honor is nice, but it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't give you, bring you that same level of emotion. So for me, it's all about winning with the team and the team that I have at code 42, we're working really hard together to try to win this market. And, um, you know, how do we define winning? We'll know, are we the market leader and insider risk, you know, two years from now and do are we acknowledged as such by everybody and do all the big companies use us? And we're on that path. And we, we, we can see that, 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 
that uh, victory lane. And so we're working really hard to, mm-hmm. to get there together. And, you know, I, the other thing I learned in, in having done this before is we also set up a Code 42 foundation. And um, this time, you know, at Eloqua, um, we didn't do that. And I regret that um, because Eloqua's gone now. Oracle bought it and it's kind of folded into Oracle and we're all spread to the seven winds. But this time, um, you know, I want to make sure that no matter what happens with Code 42, if we go public or if we get bought someday or something happens, that there's this foundation that sits in Minneapolis that's set up around the idea of equity and inclusion that outlives us. And, you know, our founders put uh, a big chunk of stock in there. It's about 1% of our stock. And so it's a meaningful amount of money in the foundation. We've been raising money for the foundation. All the employees are involved. The employees run the foundation. It's not run by the executives. It's run by the employees and they're the board of directors and all kinds of stuff. And so our idea here is that we can make the world a better place. And if we win our market and we, and we do really well as a business, we will also feed that foundation with lots of cash and, 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 um, and stock and money. And then that will then turn around and serve the community in ways that will last, that could last a hundred years. And so that's something that we're really, you know, in terms of how will you know if you've won, you know, if you've won, if you've really brought, made all of that happen and brought all that together. Mm. It's interesting how you see that also in sports, but then I don't know, that probably goes back a little, you know, while ago of, you know, our tribe, you know, going out and hunting together and coming back and bringing the gold for the, for the whole community. So I think it's kind of that same mentality, like, ah, that's, that's a day of success that actually me and my team went out there and we, we won together. So that, that's cool. I love it. Yeah, I think it, and it is, it's not, it's definitely not sports. It's, it goes back a long way, but it also, it just in today, as you think about the best moments you've had at work, they're mm-hmm. usually around something you did with your team. And, and so, um, we, we do everything we can to emphasize working together as a team. All of our bonuses are team based and, um, we, we want to win, we want to win or lose together as a team. And that's, that's going to be the, the way that's exciting, satisfying and, and meaningful. Nice. This, this has been a fantastic uh, episode, Joe. I really appreciate you joining uh, SAS District Show today. Where can, our, where can the founders listening in, our audience, get in touch with you, learn more about you or, or Code42? <laughs> well, you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm, I'm, I, as I said, I'm more active on Snapchat than I am on Twitter. I, I, I think, um, you know, I've also, as I've gotten older, I guard my time a little bit better than I used to. So if you're listening and you're like, hey, I'd love to just spend half an hour with you, Joe. You know, you got to understand that that might get multiplied by 40 people and all of a sudden it's a, it's a pretty significant time commitment. So apologies in advance. I'm mentoring a bunch of small startups. I'm an investor in a bunch of small startups right now. And so I kind of limit my time to those that I'm already uh, uh, tied to, at least for now, while I'm fully employed at, uh, at Code42, which thank God the board has decided that, that I can stay here. And, <laughs> and uh, someday I might be on the beach again. And if I am, I'll have more time to, to work with others. But be patient with me, connect with me on LinkedIn and happy to respond to any, any qu- inquiries or questions or ideas. But thanks for thank your time you. today. No, oh, thank you so much, Joe. Much appreciated. Cheers. This episode is sponsored by Content Fund, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. Content Fund provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly 
easily and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you are a content creator looking to save time and money or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfy.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast, or recommend any guest that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SAS-podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.